All right, Daniel chapter 1 tonight. Daniel chapter 1. Um, we, this, this lesson is, is kind of long, so I'm going to split it into two and look at the first part of it this week and the second part of it next week, and then we're going to be done for now with our series on the family, and we're going to move into something that I think is very, very important for us, and that's what we believe and why we believe it. And I've talked a little bit about it, so I'm not going to go into any more details with that, but uh, very important uh, that we know what we believe and why. So we're going to move into that after we get done with this next week. But Daniel chapter 1, and I know you're familiar with this story, but for the sake of uh, reminding us, let's go back and read beginning in verse number 1, Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace in whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now the story goes on, and you can, I mean, there's a lot left in the book of Daniel, but I've yet to meet a parent that doesn't believe that his or her child is exceptional. Uh, at something, at least. You may not think, you know, uh, that they're great at everything, but you see gifts and talents that sometimes others might miss in your children. Uh, you're with them all the time. You see the things that they're good at, and, you know, of course, you know, my kid can do this, you know. Um, my kid has this ability. You want them to have opportunities to succeed and for their, and for their gifts their giftedness, if that's a word, to shine, you want that to come out. And so the question then becomes, how do you cultivate those gifts while simultaneously cultivating the character to use those gifts wisely? There's a lot of people that are really good at things that use those gifts in the wrong way. I mean, think about some of these mastermind criminals, <laughs> you know, Brother John's dealt with them a lot. Uh, Nitin, you might have too, because of the, you know, the computer things and, and stuff. I mean, think about these guys that, that get into a computer and just, you know, hack into these things and steal millions of dollars. And I mean, and, and these things are being encrypted by, by people who are absolute genius in encryption work. And yet they were able to, to get into this thing, crack it open and do, do the stuff that they did. Could you imagine if those guys had used their knowledge for something good? Imagine what they'd have been able to do. So just because somebody is gifted doesn't mean they're going to use those gifts in the right way. So that's what we're trying to cultivate. We want that to be the way that it is with our children. We want them to have those gifts, and we want to cultivate those gifts. But how do you make sure that they are cultivating those gifts while at the same time having the character to use those gifts wisely? How do you raise a child who can not only play a basketball game, but who knows, you know, the right moment to show kindness on the court. I, I read this story, and I thought it was pretty interesting, but 
There was a minute left in, on the clock, minute and a half left on the clock between two schools, and they were coming down to the end of the season. The Coronado High School was one of them, and Franklin High School was the other, but the Coronado basketball coach put a, a new player on the floor, and this is a true story. His name was Mitchell Marcus, and the crowd went wild, just cheering for him and chanting his name. He had been the, the, the manager of the team for the entire four years that he was in high school, and he... And he it was hard to say that anybody liked basketball more than he did. He was just an absolute fanatic about basketball, knew a lot of the stats of all the NBA players and even some of the college players and everything else, but he just wasn't good. And so he never went out onto the court and played, but he was at every practice for all four of those years. He was at every game. He did his manager duties flawlessly, you know. And uh, so the coach had decided before the game even started, this was the last game of the year, the coach had decided before the game started that no matter what the scoreboard said at the end of the game, he was going to bring Mitchell in and let him play for the last few minutes of the game. Well, it comes down to about a minute and a half left, and, and um, you know, Mitchell's teammates passed him the ball. He missed the basket. They caught the rebound. They passed it to him again. The ball went out of bounds, and they, they, for, it wasn't that he wasn't trying. He just couldn't, you know, he couldn't handle the ball very well. He couldn't make baskets very well, and so they tried to get the ball to him, and he just... He couldn't make it, but it, uh, of all the players on his team, uh, Mitchell loved basketball more than anybody else, and it was pretty obvious by the, by the way that the crowd started cheering for him and everything else that, that everybody loved him and was happy for him to have this opportunity to play. Well, there was 13 seconds left on the clock, and the ball was actually, the ball belonged to the other team, and the other team was actually down by about 10 points. But one of, the, one of the players on the other team with 13 seconds left and their chance to inbound the ball called Mitchell's name and threw the ball to him and said, shoot it. And so Mitchell took the ball down and he, he shot it up there and missed. Somebody got the rebound and threw it back to him and he shot it up there and missed. He got the rebound and they threw it back to him with about one second left. He put the ball through the net. And the crowd just went crazy and everything else. You know, the, the, his teammates came and picked him up and carried him off the court and, you know, made a hero out of him and everything else. But the, the final scoreboard had the other, the other team winning by 15 points. But in reality, both teams won. Because the young man that was on the other team, uh, both, both of those teams are going to remember those 13 seconds. And, and really the significance is just the greater impact of the sportsmanship that that young man on the other team showed. There, you know, 13 seconds left, there's probably not a chance that you can win, but, you know, you always want to try to close the gap on the scoreboard so it doesn't look like you lost by so many points, you know. But this young man showed the sportsmanship that obviously his parents had taught him that there's some things that are greater in importance than just basketball and sportsmanship and all the other things that go along with that. So how do you raise a child that can not only play a basketball game but who knows the right moment to show kindness to somebody else, you know, Consider this biblical account of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 1, I think you have to say that, that Daniel is arguably the, the most talented teenager in the Bible. We don't have a lot of teenagers that are given us in the Bible. You have Joseph and some of these others who were probably around that age. But if you look at, and, and we read through some of these things, but I mean, you read verse number 4 and, talk, and, and how it talks about these young men that were carried off into captivity from uh, into Babylon, well-favored, skillful in wisdom, cunning in knowledge, understanding science, had ability to stand in the king's palace, uh, had the ability to understand and learn other languages and everything else. So Daniel was a very, very talented uh, young man. And some, some commentators believe that he was actually as young as 14 years old when he was carried away into captivity. 
Uh, and, and he's just an exceptionally gifted young man, um, but he would have had, I'm sure he would have been very impressed by the features there in Babylon. It's almost like taking a, a teenager nowadays and, and going to Las Vegas, and I've never been there, but I've seen pictures of it, and just the, the, the opulence of that place, you know? I mean, you could just imagine how wide your eyes would be if you grew up in the, you know, uh, a rural town in America, and now here you are standing in Las Vegas looking at just everything that they've done in, in that place, and uh, Babylon was much like that. It had a reputation of being the seat of learning and education and culture. And for Daniel, he already had all of this academic prowess and this political aptitude and the ability to stand in the king's palace, like it said. There must have been a, a sense of excitement, even awe maybe in the majesty that was surrounding him here in this city of Babylon. And it would have been, you know, for, for all its culture, uh, the problem with Babylon, though, is that the religion was just absolutely polar opposite to what he grew up with in Israel. And, the, you know, the center of this city of Babylon had a towering ziggurat, which is where they would use to, to make sacrifices. They had uh, a god that was known as Marduk, um, just very, very pagan in its culture and everything else. And here, Daniel, who is a gifted, talented young man, finds himself inserted right into the middle of this heathen society. Um, he was a captive, but his gifts had obviously been noticed, and he was given special treatment with the obvious expectation that he would reciprocate all the things that were given to him by making something out of himself and giving back to the political uh, climate of that day. And so now he has the opportunity to distinguish himself within the government, along with just a few other young men, um, and in the most prestigious and powerful empire in the world. So the story of Daniel is just a remarkable story, not so much because he was gifted, but because he stood for God while he was using those gifts. And here we are more than 2,500 years later, and Daniel is still being remembered as a teenager for having wonderful gifts and amazing abilities, but still standing for God. And I have to believe that that's due in large part to the investment that his parents made in his life. Certainly, Daniel, and, and I mean, you see from this that there were others who did not stand for God and who just did whatever the king told them that they had to do. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the parents never did anything at home. They obviously made their own choices. But Daniel's parents had done enough work with him that he made this decision that he was not going to defile himself with the portion of the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank, which the Bible says in verse number eight. But obviously, at an early age, Daniel was given teaching in cultivating his God-given gifts while also at the same time being able to use those things for God. Every parent would like to raise a Daniel, and there's no question about that. All of us want our kids to have the ability to flourish in their careers as an adult, whatever that happens to be, whether it is in ministry or in some other uh, career, and then stand out from their peers. But we also want them to stand for God and to stand for truth. So how do we raise... Daniels. How do we raise people who have good talents and great abilities in their specific arena that they choose, but at the same time they stand for God? We want to know that nobody, friend, college professor, drill sergeant, boss, nobody is going to intimidate them from standing for Christ. So the question is, how did Daniel's parents encourage the development of his gifts while at the same time guiding him to stand up for truth and to stand up for what's right. So tonight, we're going to look at a few truths from the life of Daniel that will help us learn how to develop both character and talent in our children. And the first thing is this, determine the priority of character. 
And the first thing that we have to say about Daniel is that Daniel was a gifted young man. We talked about this a little bit, but in chapter 1, we're introduced to the extraordinary gifts that Daniel had in captivity. If you look in verse number 4, the Bible says that Daniel was mentally sharp. He had a natural capacity for knowledge. Today, it might, it might translate it into somebody taking an SAT test and just blowing this thing out of the water. That's, that's kind of where Daniel was at. He had an aptitude for learning foreign languages as well and a grasp on the finer academics of his day. The second thing about Daniel, though, was that he was socially poised. Brilliant as Daniel was, he, he wasn't your typical uh, academic nerd, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but most of the people who are brains are really socially uh, awkward. They don't, know how to, they don't know how to get along in society because they're so smart. You know, uh, It'd it, it kind of be like uh, you've heard, uh, who knows if this is 100% true or not, but Albert Einstein, you know, just this genius that Albert Einstein was. But you look at a picture of Albert Einstein, and he just looks like this social misfit, you know. And it was said, too, that Albert Einstein was basically so smart, he didn't even know how to tie his own shoes, you know. I mean, all these things that he knew, but something so simple as tying your shoes was actually too simple for him. Uh, and for the longest, I don't know, if, uh, maybe by the end of his life, I don't know, but for the longest time, he didn't even know how to tie his own shoes, you know. Uh, and and I'm, again, I'm not saying that in a bad way, but, you know, this verse is referring uh, to his serving the king. That word ability that the Bible talks about there in verse number four, um, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, literally means a proper manner. It means poise. It means confidence, um, it, knowledge of social propriety. So in plain English, Daniel could hand himself with grace in a royal court. And just, I mean, the fact that Daniel was not raised in a royal court and still had this ability to do that. He could interact with dignitaries and sense that, that proper protocol, even in a strange country. So Daniel was very gifted with his abilities, but he was also socially poised. He had an uncommon level of diplomacy for an adult, let alone for a child who was 14, 15, 16 years old. Um, but when he was confronted with the dilemma that, uh, of eating the foods that were against his convictions... He was unmoving, but he was able to persuade this king to give him an exception. I mean, this is, you, you got to think about this, you know. This is not just, I ain't doing that. I ain't doing that. I mean, that wouldn't have gone over very well. But look what it says there in verse number nine. Now, God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. Turn over to the next chapter in Daniel chapter 2, because later on in the book of Daniel, we see that he had an ability to diffuse emotions that often run rampant, even in life and death situation. Daniel chapter 2 and verse number 12. For this cause, the king was angry and very furious, furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. So here's Daniel literally in a life and death situation. Then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that we, he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. And of course, God was with Daniel, but Daniel has this ability to defuse a situation that literally they were coming to kill him and his friends and every other wise man in the city. It's no wonder that a teenager with the giftedness of Daniel ended up being in the king's court. 
Um, what is surprising is that a teenager in the king's court had the backbone that Daniel had to stand up to the king himself. So Daniel was definitely a gifted young man, but the second thing that we see about Daniel, and I, th I think is even greater than saying that he had all these gifts, was that Daniel was a guided young man. And, you know, I, I, I certainly want my kids to, to develop their gifts, and I think everybody would say that, but if my kids had zero gifts and zero abilities, uh, I would much rather have them stand up for righteousness than to be the greatest basketball player that ever lived. You know, I would much rather have them stand up for God in a situation where they need to stand up than to be the greatest, name it, you know, president of the United States. I'd rather have, a, I'd rather have children that are living for God than have them be the president of the United States not living for God. And that's, but, but the thing is, if we can have both, then why not have both, right? And that's what we're talking about. Look at Mike Pence. I think he's a great example, and I don't know exactly what his background is and everything else, but Mike Pence is the second most powerful man in the United States, technically speaking. He's the vice president of the United States, and yet Mike Pence is not afraid to stand up for what he believes. How, much, how many times did you see him get criticized for his decisions that he was not going to go to lunch with a, a woman by himself, right? That's a conviction based on the Word of God, Right? He's not afraid to stand up and say, I'm pro-life. He's not afraid to stand up and speak out for the things that the Bible condemns, right? That is developing your gifts and abilities. You don't end up as the vice president of the United States without gifts and abilities, but that's somebody who developed those gifts and abilities at the same time as he was being taught to stand up for what's right. So Daniel was a gifted young man, but he was also a guided young man. And I think that the pivotal statement of Daniel chapter 1 is at the beginning of verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart. That word purposed here means to set, to direct toward, to determine. Daniel determined in his heart that he was not going to defile himself with a portion of the king's meat. Daniel had convictions and principles settled in his heart that guided his decision in what you could consider to be a crisis moment. That's what this was for Daniel, and his convictions were so strong. He was not just a gifted man, he was a guided Young man, And that level of internal guidance at such a young age had to have come from a godly home and from parents who were very intentional about teaching him the word of God. I don't know if they had a suspicion that maybe Babylon was going to one day come and they said, one day Babylon's going to come and when they take you captive, we're not going to be there, but you better stand for what's right. I don't know if they had that idea or if they said that to him or not, but either way, they got that idea across to him. And they were very intentional about teaching him those things. And so Daniel's parents, I think, must have just tied the everyday current, everyday occurrences of Daniel's talent development to biblical truth, emphasizing character over talent. That's what that's about. Certainly, they knew that he was gifted and, and, and had the ability, but they emphasized that character over his abilities. What makes Daniel's story even more significant than what his parents did is that he, he internalized their biblical convictions. And I think here's what happens so many times in Christian schools, in, in churches where we're trying to raise our kids for God and where churches make big mistakes with this is that they force their kids to do these things through the rules and everything else, but they never teach them why they're doing it. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so adamant about this, what we believe and why we believe it. 
I don't want you to just believe it because, well, that's what the pastor says. Or, well, that's just what I've always believed. I want you to know what you believe because of the, what the Bible says about why we believe those things. So we can force our kids to do things all day long, but until they know why they're doing those things, they're never going to get them for themselves. And Daniel's parents were able to get that to him. Look, he, he was in a foreign land where everybody around him was doing all the things that were anti-God. Nobody would have ever said anything about it if Daniel had just gone along with everybody else. If Daniel's parents had just been forcing him to do those things all along and Daniel's saying, why do we do this? And nobody's ever given him the answer. And he doesn't know why he believes what he believes and why he's doing these certain things. Then what's to keep him from running away from those things when he finally has the opportunity to do it? And that's what happens with so many, you know, they, they have all these publications and things nowadays about how many what the percentages of kids who grew up in church that are actually still going to church and, oh, we can't figure out why these kids don't want to come back to church. I'll tell you exactly why. It's because it was never theirs in the first place. Their parents made them do those things, but they never taught them why they were doing those things. And so they were their parents' convictions, and they were doing it because their parents were convicted and convinced that these things were right, but they never passed that on to their kids. And they never became the kids' convictions. And so when they don't become the kids' convictions, the moment they have the opportunity at 18, 19, 20 years old to run out the door and live their own life, that's exactly what they're going to do. And that's exactly what Daniel did not do. He had that opportunity, and he had those convictions for himself by that point. And because they were his convictions, he stood on them. And that's what every parent wants. That's what we hope for our children. We teach them the Bible truths. We pray that, that when we're not present, they'll make those personal choices to honor God and honor godly principles. But how do we do that? Well, Daniel's parents seem to have understand the importance of cultivating the heart. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Yes, we want to cultivate our children's gifts, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how we can help them develop their gifts, but the highest joy comes from cultivating the deepest part, and that is the heart. Their talents and their abilities and all of those things will come if their heart is right. Because look, God will bless them. You may not be the most talented at something, but God will bless you in whatever it is that you're doing if he has your heart. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 9, Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them thy sons and thy sons sons. Notice that pattern. First, we take heed to our own lives. We have to diligently obey God from the heart ourselves. And I've mentioned that. I've talked about that so many times. The best way we can train our children to go up for God is to live for God ourselves, to model that behavior, to model that character. And then we teach them to our children, and we teach them to our grandchildren. And we make the emphasis of the heart so that we can embed that truth into their souls, not just require rules for their actions. Recognizing our children's gifts is good, but we have to remember that our children need guidance more than giftedness. Giftedness without character guidance is, is a tragedy waiting to happen. It's like a misguided missile. You know, a missile that is just going in whatever direction is worse than a missile that is, you know, less powerful but going in the right direction, right? Um, 
Daniel not only had that giftedness, but he had the accurate guidance system in his life. It's as a moral compass, a real relationship with God. And that guided his gifts even in the moments when he was put into a really extreme situation. Of the two, talent or character, character has a, has a much higher priority. And if we set those things wrong, then our kids are going to grow up maybe having abilities, but not having any of that character. Character needs to be number one. Talent without char- character is going to lead a person to a colossal fall. You, you don't have to look any farther than some of these athletes who are so talented, and yet they get themselves wrapped up in all these scandals and everything else. If you want to develop both talent and character in your children, you have to place an emphasis on character. So that's the first thing, is to determine the priority of character. Yes, we want them to develop their gifts, but we want them to develop those gifts while developing character at the same time. Here's the second thing. We'll look at these um, tonight, and then we'll be done. Develop spiritual aptitudes. Develop spiritual aptitudes. Uh, So in addition to intentionally developing character, we want to watch for God at work in our children's life. Turn over to Galatians chapter 5. There's a couple ways that we can do that, and the first way is by observing. How do we develop those spiritual aptitudes? By observing. You want to notice and encourage the development of what the Holy Spirit's doing in your children's life. If you see God at work in their lives, and you see them actively giving in to God working in their lives, you need to notice that, and you need to, you need to um, encourage that. It's amazing how you can see the spiritual development in your child's heart, even at a very young age. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 and 23, we're given the list of the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So in addition to the fruits of the Spirit, God gives every Christian, including children, one or more spiritual gifts at salvation. And in fact, turn over to Romans chapter 12. This is a really interesting study. Um, but, but a, a spiritual gift is a divine enablement to accomplish something that God specifically has for you to accomplish in your life. And God gives every one of us one or more of these gifts and abilities, but they're very spiritual at the same time. Romans chapter 12, and this, I mean, this goes beyond just our children. I, I think as we go through and look at these couple things, see where, see what your gift might be. God gives everybody at least one gift. So, Romans chapter 12 and verse number 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. All of these are gifts. Let's start back at the beginning. Prophecy, the ability or the desire to preach or teach God's word. God doesn't give that gift to everybody, but some he does. And if you notice that in your child or you notice that in yourself even, we need to develop that gift. He also gives the gift gift of ministry or the gift of helps, the ability and the desire to serve and help God's people. There are some people that just have an ability to help other people. God's given you Talents or abilities to have a knowledge of a wide range of construction type things, let's say. And I know people, I could, I, could, I could name you people that have that ability, just a ministry and a gift of helps. 
You know, somebody needs something and they have the ability to go help them and save them all that money or whatever else. Well, we've had, I've had so many people uh, over the course of, of the 15 years that I've been here and, you know, owned a house and everything else. I can do a lot of things, but sometimes I can't diagnose it because I've never seen it before, you know? And somebody can come over there and say, oh, yeah, it's this, 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 and this. I fix it and it's done, you know? That's somebody that has the gift of helps, the gift of ministry, just the ability and the desire to serve and help God's people. Another one is a gift of teaching, the ability and the desire to clearly articulate truth. Sometimes that might be through teaching, and sometimes that might, I mean, you know, standing up and teaching. Sometimes that might be through writing. You know, uh, God gives people the ability to write, to clearly articulate truth. Uh, sometimes the gift of exhortation, that's the ability to desire, uh, the ability and the desire to encourage others in their faith. You know, somebody that has the ability to just put their arm around somebody and say, look, man, you know, this is probably not the direction that you want to go. You know, this doesn't usually work out well for somebody that does this. Maybe you want to consider doing this. There's some people that have that ability to just put their arm around somebody and exhort them to continue doing what's right. The a gift of giving. And maybe, you know, obviously we're all commanded to give, but there are some people who just have that gift of giving. God gives them more money so that they can support the work of the ministry. The ability and the desire to give to God's work and God's people. Um, and, and again, you know, well, God didn't give me that gift, so I guess I can't give to those things. That's not true either. But there are some people who God just blesses above and beyond so that they can give to, to the ministry. Uh, the gift of ruling and administration, that's another one. The ability and the desire to lead and to administrate part of God's work. Leading a ministry. Leading, uh, you know, any number of different things. And then the gift of mercy. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. The ability and the desire to feel the pain of others, uh, to be able to put yourself in their shoes and to be able to help them uh, through difficult situations, help them during trials and so on. And I wish we could spend more time on this and maybe someday we will, but th that's what we're talking about. Your kid, your child, if they're saved, has been given one or more, several of those abilities. And our job as parents is to help them try to figure out what that is, you know, um, we're not just going to throw them out of there and say, go figure it out, you know. Uh, we can help them with those things, and we do that by observing. But the second way that we do that, the spiritual aptitude, discovering the spiritual aptitude is by applauding. And, and we won't take a long time on this, but turn over to Proverbs 23. Observe your children, like I said, but then look for the spiritual gifts that stand out in them. When you see little evidences of those things, praise him for it. And I know I talk about this a lot. We're so quick to, to jump down their throats when they're not doing something right and so slow to praise them when they are doing something right. Um, when you observe your children doing right, you should have joy. Let, their, let your children know that they have honored you and that they've honored God in the process. Proverbs 23, verse 15, my son, if thine heart be wise, my heart shall rejoice, even mine. Yea, my reins shall rejoice when thy lips speak right things. What is he saying? He's looking for an opportunity to praise his children for them doing right. Turn back a few pages to Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son 
maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. Perhaps your child's going through a difficult time and you see them handling that with joy. That's something that you should praise them for. Uh, maybe they had a friend at school that was unkind, but they were gentle in their response. That's something that you should notice and praise them for. Um, maybe they exercised meekness to a referee during a basketball game. That's something you should praise them for. Um, perhaps he's developing discipline and self-control in, in training himself in some way for sports. That's something you ought to praise him for. Even beyond praising your child for the character, point out to them that you see God working in his or her heart. That's, that's what we're looking for. So we're observing those things, but then once we observe them, we praise them. We have to be alert for any spiritual gifts that we see in our children and then be careful not to squelch that. We don't want to be the damper, you know? They start doing some things that are moving them in the direction of, of making it obvious that they have these spiritual gifts and, well, you're just getting a big head, stop. No, it's abilities that God's given them. That's gifts that God's given them, and we ought to be praising those abilities. Now, we ought to point out that God's the one that gave them those abilities, um, but God's given it to them. You know, for instance, maybe you have a child with the spiritual gift of serving that wants to volunteer and stay after for a while, um, you know, in the church, you know, in the church and help out with something, and, well, just, just taking too much time. I don't have time to sit around and wait for you anymore. Let's go. You can't help. Well, you're, you're squelching that desire that they have to be a servant. You're, 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 you're thwarting that ability that maybe God's given them with the gift of helps. If they want to stay around and help, yes, sometimes it might be inconvenient for you. But a wise parent is somebody who, rather than feeling frustrated with the extra time or the chauffeuring back and forth or something like that, will do what's possible to encourage that heart for service. Praise is a powerful motivator in a child's heart. I know I talk about that a lot, but I heard a quote one time that says this, help a child reach their full potential by catching them doing something right. You know, we always catch them doing something wrong, come around the corner, and there they are doing something wrong, and we get on them. But how about catching them doing something right? Look for ways to applaud them, because what you're doing at the same time is developing the character growth in your children's life. And you might tell them, you know, verbally that you appreciate them. You might write a note to them describing how they, uh, how they were you know, encouraging to you or how thankful you are to see something specific that God's doing in their life. Praise them to somebody else within their hearing. You know, Let them hear you talking about them doing something good. And by the way, there's nothing that's going to tear down a kid's... Um, Self-esteem is not the right word uh, because, you know, there's so much emphasis put on that. But self-esteem is part of it. But nothing is going to put down uh, or tear down a child's trust in his parent than to hear the parents sitting there talking about something that he did that was wrong or, or stupid or something like that. You know, um, don't point your children's weaknesses out to others necessarily, you know. Um, unless, obviously, you're trying to get wisdom or advice or something like that, then that's a completely different scenario. But, um, you know, create maybe even a, a family tradition for praise. You know, somebody did something right, so they get this special plate. You know, they get this special spot at the table because they did this today. Whatever it is, I mean, you have to come up with different things. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be expensive. It just needs to be intentional. And that's a word that I use often as well. What we do has to be intentional. It's not just going to happen on its own. 
We have to be intentional about developing their character. We have to be intentional about praising their, their good behavior. We have to be intentional about punishing the bad stuff, you know? Um, so determine the priority of character, discover spiritual aptitudes, and then lastly, we'll talk about this next week, and we've got a lot of Bible verses that we're going to look at along with this as well, but develop the natural gifts. And that's what the whole point of this, this whole lesson is, is developing your child's gifts. Um, they have gifts. They have abilities. And our job is to develop those gifts and abilities so that they can be the most useful that they can be for God when they get old enough to really start using those abilities and those talents and those gifts. But at the same time, we want to make sure that those gifts and those talents and those abilities are being used for God's service and that they're being the most useful that they can be for God with those gifts and those abilities. So we'll stop there for tonight. We'll, we'll kind of review a little bit of this next week to bring us back up to speed, and then we'll finish the last part of this next week. All right? Let's pray, and we'll be dismissed. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you for the privilege that you've given us of raising children uh, individually and families, but as a church, we are all responsible for the next generation. And some of these things may not apply to... To some of us, but to others, they're, they're very much applicable right now. And so I pray that you'd help us all to put those into practice, that you'd be able to use us as parents and even as grandparents to help us to be what our children need to grow up and live for you and to serve you with their whole heart, their whole mind, their whole soul, and every bit of ability that you've given them. But then they would stand up for what's right. God, I pray that you'd uh, give us a good rest of the week. Help us to be the witness for you that you want us to be. And we'll thank you for everything you do in Jesus' name. Amen.